Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. All right, so before we read chapter 23, and I know I remind us this every week, but who knows what happens in your week? I don't know what you forget. Um, Jesus is having a continuous discussion with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They've been quizzing him, trying to trap him, kind of taking turns between the two parties. Um, And at the end of chapter 22, Jesus establishes that the Messiah, that he is more than just the son of David, that he is higher, that because David refers to him as Lord. This establishes Jesus' ultimate, Jesus's um, ultimate authority in what he's preaching. And so let's remember that after he establishes who he is and what his authority is, now we get to see what he says immediately following. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he's in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, this next part has a lot of exclamation points. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men. Which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. Hope that's right. I don't use spices a lot. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain at a gnat but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the, the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. 
You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, I tell you, all this will come on this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I need to drink water after that. All right. I'm gonna start off with some like scholarly things. Um, because I am a scholar. <laughs> no, um, but just to clear, clear up some, some things that you may have heard or p- things people say that are, for, um, that are just stupid, basically. Um, so some, some people, some scholars, uh, they don't think, they're like this, I don't think this is Jesus. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could just read the Bible and anything you didn't like, you're like, I don't know if that's God. I'm just going to not hear that. I'm just going to take that out. So they just think, they're like, I don't think this is Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus is just full of mercy and grace and love and the cuddles. This doesn't sound like him at all, you know? I don't like it. And that's what they sound like when they say it. Um, But this is consistent. What Jesus says is consistent with the character of God in the Old Testament. God shows mercy to his people, but only after they turn back to him. The prophets who speak the word of the Lord in the Old Testament, they typically, over and over, call out the leaders and call out the people who've been led astray and tell them to come back and then say what God will do when they do, the mercy he'll show them. I'm just going to give you an example. In Jeremiah 24, 33, which is Jeremiah, when these people or a prophet or a priest ask you, what is the message from the Lord? Say to them, what message? I will forsake you, declares the Lord. If a prophet or a priest or anyone else claims this is a message from the Lord, I will punish them in their household. This is what each of you keeps saying to your friends and other Israelites. What is the Lord's answer or what has the Lord spoken? But you must not mention a message from the Lord again because each one's word becomes their own message. So you distort the words of the living God, the Lord Almighty, our God. This is what you keep saying to a prophet. What is the Lord's answer to you or what has the Lord spoken? Although you claim this is a message from the Lord, this is what the Lord says. You use the words, this is a message from the Lord, even though I told you that you must not claim this is a message from the Lord. Therefore, I will surely forget you and cast you out of my presence along with the city I gave to you and your ancestors. I will bring on you everlasting disgrace, everlasting shame that will not be forgotten. That doesn't seem very nice either, but it's pretty consistent with what Jesus was just saying. So Jesus is full of mercy and grace. God is full of mercy and grace, but also from time to time, we see a cup of God's wrath being poured out and Jesus is going to give a cup of God's wrath. And that's what he's doing right now to the leaders. He's, he, he's full of mercy and grace, but he's not going to hold guiltless those who lead his people astray. So this is a cup of God's wrath on display through Jesus. 
Um, so Jesus begins by saying that the teachers of the law sit in Moses' seat. So what is Moses' seat? Well, I have a lovely picture of one. Uh, this is Moses' seat. Um, they made him hard so services wouldn't be as long. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, they actually, archaeologists have found uh, things called, why is everything with S? Moses' seats called Moses seeds, um, but not really any from Jesus' time. So the thought is maybe um, these actual Moses seats came after based on what Jesus said, um, but he is referring to a position of power because in the synagogues, the teachers would sit in a chair up front as they teach. Um, and Jesus refers to this as Moses' seat because Moses was the one who brought the word of the Lord. He's the one who brought the law from God to his people. Um, and so these men, they're holding that same position. They are, they are saying, I'm bringing the word of the Lord to you from God. And so they're sitting in, in Moses' seat. Um, and then he makes a lot of accusations, and there are a lot. So I'm going to explain some of them. Some of them, like whitewashed tombs, you know, you clean on the outside, full of dead bodies on the inside. It's pretty clear. I feel like I need to explain that one. Um, so we'll talk about some uh, that aren't so obvious. So he says that they tie up heavy loads on the backs of the people and do not lift a finger to help them. Um, and this is the equivalent of, and, and all these things that they're putting on them is they're adding, adding things of how you can obey God by doing this, right? And the best example that I think we can relate to is having a boss who has never worked in your position, but giving you things you need to do, and this is the way you need to do it, and this is the timeline you need to have. And everyone who's working down here is like, you can't do that. There's not enough time. There's not enough of us, right? And if you ever think for a second, you're going to bring it up in a meeting and change things, please do not. Because if you've been there long enough, you know, listen, if you bring up anything to change things, they're just going to add something to fix it that's going to make everything worse. Everything. They're going to make some new form you have to sign. Oh, you know, we can do this. Let's have a group after work once a month where we can talk these things out. And you're like, no, 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 no. They're bad enough. Just leave them bad. Just leave them bad. That's in my advice as a pastor, okay, at your work. You think you're going to change things? You're not, okay? You can spiritually as you witness, but they keep adding things, right? Has anyone had a job where they just don't keep adding things to your plate and the different recommendations and different things you should do? And you're like, this is, ah, this is crazy. And this is, what, this is what the temple leaders are doing to the people. They're like, oh, you want to obey God? You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do it this way. You need to wash your hands this way. And, 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 they don't, and they're not helping them at all, right? It even helps sometimes if you have a, 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 someone over you who's like, look, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. Has anyone ever had that happen? Right? If I was a boss, I'd be like, hey, I know these guys. <laughs> I just pass on it on. But when you have someone who's like, listen, I I've had bosses who are like, let me help you. Let 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 let's, let's get this done. I I'm going to help you do this. I'm going to come alongside you. And then there are those who are like, I'm above it. I'm above you guys. Get it done. And I I'm not a part of it. I'm not going to listen to what you have to say. I'm not going to listen to your complaints. Just get it done. How do you feel about that employer, and how do you feel, and it goes upward, how do you feel about that company? You could have the, the, the like CEO of that company or the, a head, the person who owns your business might be the nicest person and not know what's going on down there, but you're like, all the way up, from here up, that's how I'm seeing it. You guys don't care about us. 
You guys don't care about our lives. You guys don't care about our time. You guys don't care if we're doing it right. It just goes upward. And that's what these people are doing to God. They're seeing what these Pharisees are doing, the things they're saying, their attitude toward them, like, I don't, you just need to get it done. I don't even have any mercy or grace towards you. You're just a failure. And, I, you know, I don't know if we have a position for you anymore if you can't do that. And so these people not only see these leaders, the, the, these temple leaders as like, they don't only like, they dislike them, but they see God in the same light, that God is like that. Just like you would see um, an employer. And so that's why Jesus is so upset with what they're doing, um, because they're giving God a bad name. Um, and Jesus says, everything you do is to be seen. It's all about status. It's all about status. He says, they make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long so that they seem like they're being obedient to God. And if you don't know what a phylactery is, I don't, let me see, no one's wearing one. Okay, no one's got one on. So this is what a phylactery is. Um, that person, just in general, no. Um, the little box on his head, you can go to the next one. That little box on their head is a phylactery. Is there another picture? I like 360 degrees. Just picture different people wearing different things. Um, okay, and these, um, oh, hold on. You can hold it on that one right now. So they're wearing their phylacteries. Um, and you can imagine these getting like bigger and bigger. How big did they get, people wearing these on their heads? You know, Maybe that's where the top hat came from. It's just like a huge phylactery. So, and so this comes, this, these phylacteries come from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And it says, hear, O Israel, the word of the Lord. That's not what it says. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So, so, so they're like, okay. And it's funny because Jesus, in his, when he's saying, he's, you're doing one and not the other, right? And so like, yes, bind them to our heads. We're going to make boxes. We're going to tie them our heads. And it's like, but they're not written on their hearts. They're not impressing them on, they're not impressing them on their own hearts. They're not living that way. They just have these boxes. And in these boxes, there, there be four scriptures written on little parchment rolls. And I'm not going to read all of them or any of them, but um, actually I already did just read one. The, one. the scripture I just read is one of them. But if you're interested to look them up yourself, it's Exodus 13, 1 through 10 on one. And then Exodus 13, 11 through 16 on the other. Um, and these have to do with sanctification as a result of the Passover, remembering what God did. Um, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, which is the one I just read. And then Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 21. And that one reiterates the last verse I just read, but also talks about the blessings and the consequences of obeying or disobeying his commands. So these scriptures are about obeying God. Um, and then these tassels... Um, and these are more, go to the other one and we'll come back to this. So these are tassels that they would wear down. They would be at the end of their uh, long garments. So they'd be like at the bottom of their robe. Um, when the lady uh, comes up and touches the hem of Jesus's garment, it's most likely she's touching his tassels. Um, so they would have this at the bottom of their garments. 
Um, and then they became, you can go to the next one, and then they've kind of evolved into, you can go to that, that last one, the prayer shawls. They've, that's kind of why the prayer shawls, if you've seen people with a prayer shawl, they have these long things on. It's kind of evolved to that. And then in the 90s, for a short period of time, the tassels looked like this. Um, and the longer it went down, the more holy you were. And I was pretty holy, I'll tell you what. Um, but I had a braided belt, because that guy doesn't know what he's doing. Um, so these tassels, you can remove that one. I, I can't continue. All right, yeah. So, uh, so this came from Deuteronomy 22.12, where it said, make tassels on the four corners of the cloak you wear. And as humans, what we're prone to do is we, we make physical representations of spiritual things. I mean, that's where idols came from. We make physical representations of spiritual things. And over time, it becomes more about the physical representation than what it's actually about. And we, we start to worship this process. We start to worship um, how we think things should be, right? Because um, these things weren't, these scriptures were on their arms, those little arm things. That's what they're officially called, arm things. Um, don't quote me. Um, but that would have scriptures written on it too. So they'd be on their arms and on their heads. Um, so they're wearing these scriptures on their arms and on their heads, but it's not really written on their hearts. They're not really obeying the Lord. And it's not really written on their minds. They just have these physical representations of like, and people can see, oh, they have the word of the Lord written on their hearts and minds because they've got that box on their head. Not to be disrespectful. But that's what was happening. And so they would make these phylacteries as large as possible so you could see them far away, make the tassels kind of dangle as far as they could. And, and the longer it was and the bigger it was, the holier you were. People were like, look at that guy. Look at that guy. Because they wanted people to see them and think that person's holy. They wanted to be seated in the highest positions. In that, in that time, it mattered where you sat at the table. You know, kids were in the back. It just like went down the line. And so it said they wanted to sit to the right or the left of the host to be seen at the head of the table, to be put upon pedestals, to be seen as important. There was hierarchy everywhere, and the least important sat in the back. They wanted to be the most important. They wanted titles that reeked of importance. They wanted to be important. It's human nature to want to be important, to want to be valued. Um, but this desire to be important is not of God. And when people see this same behavior within the church, it gives them an impression of who God is. And that's not so. It makes it look like God really loves this person, then this person, then this person, then this person. And, and there are people in the church who feel like, well, I'm a nobody. God doesn't listen to my prayers. I'm not important to God. No one really sees me at the church because I maintain this low position. We, we, we believe that. So if we've thought that before, then we've looked and seen something in the church and made it so in our head. We've linked the two together, and that's what was happening here. We try to set these systems up. I know kids um, who went into internships in college for ministers, and a lot of times all they did was clean the pastor's house and, and kind of be treated like servants. And what they're learning is they're learning humility. They're learning how to be servants. And so with that, I want to announce the internship that begins next week. Um, 
No, but they would be, and they'd be working more than 40 hours a week, and they're like, I don't see anything that's happening. Um, and then one, one of, of my not, friends, kids, whatever, sometimes when youth grow up and then become adults, they kind of become your friends, um, but they remember the hierarchy. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm just kidding. They don't. Um, so and he, he, went to, uh, he went to a church, and um, it was a great honor to be the person to walk behind the pastor and carry his coat. Like, that was, like, the, the highest position you could maintain was coat carrier. So I'm going to start wearing coats. No, but, and, 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 and all these people that did these things, and when you're going into an internship at a church, you're like, these are people who are like, I want to go in the ministry. I want to serve God. I want to know how to do it. And then the closer they get to the church and the higher-ups, if you will, they're like, this disgusts me. This disgusts me. And they got, went out of the ministry, and some of them deconstructed. They're like, I want nothing to do with this. And guess what? I don't see in the Bible a coat carrier. Jesus didn't have a coat carrier, right? You could get into Elijah and Elisha, but don't. It's a different thing. Um, so, and so these titles he's throwing out. Don't call, you know, I remember thinking like, don't call someone father. You know, all teenagers like, I'm not supposed to call you father. You can't tell me what to do. Jesus said, right? He's obviously a girl. Um, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Um, but these, these titles were about reverence. They were about, like, rabbi at that point meant, wasn't like teacher. It meant more like great one, more like great one. And so father was, uh, was like a, a title, father, you know. And luckily, within the church, no one, that father thing is completely dead, I'm pretty sure. Correct? How do you even start that when you're like, it specifically says not to do that. Why would we do that? I don't know why I like it. What's the guy who's carrying my coat going to call me? You don't know. And so, so, so it's, they feel important, but to everyone else, they're just seeing, like, hypocrisy. It's just a smell of importance reeks of hypocrisy. And so Jesus says, you're actually keeping people from me. You're keeping people from me. You are closing the door in their faces. And guess what? Who gave you the right to hold the door to a place you're not going and you don't know how to get there? And let somehow you've assigned yourself as the doorkeeper when no one invited you. What's that about? You can't show someone the way if you do not know the way. He even says, you travel. Apparently, they're sent out missionaries. He says, you, you travel all over to tell people of me, but every disciple you raise is not a disciple of the living God, but your disciple in your kingdom that will pass away. And you condemn each of these to hell because you act like you know the way, and you don't. He says, you make them twice a child of hell as you are. I hope they take him seriously. And when I hear this, I'm like, was this written long ago or was this written now? And do we find this concerning? I think so often we like look and say, good thing, good thing, good thing we weren't like them. But, I, but we still see these things. It's concerning. And Jesus isn't done. All this talk about the temple, he's saying, you've attributed holiness to these things rather than to the God who makes them holy. And you give them honor and them reverence rather than the one who makes them holy. Right? I mean, people, like, not to get into World War II, but in the 1940s, what do you know? You don't know where I'm going? You know where I'm going with this? 
I'm obviously going to the uh, Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> Indiana Jones won. No, but they were looking for these items. Oh, that, like that, the Ark of the Covenant possesses power. The Holy Grail. Like the, the Nazis were actually looking for these things because they were like looking for like, you know, mystical, spiritual power things, thinking these items held the power. But they don't. The power is in God. God is what makes them holy. And it's a, it's a temptation for people to attach holiness and power to an item. And in the church, we, we attach holiness and power to a, um, a routine, to a certain chair, to certain glass, to the shape of a building, to the point at the top of a building. It's kind of ridiculous. And people get all upset about the building like it's holy. But what makes the building holy is the presence of God. And, and in most of those cases in churches like that, he's not even there. So even Moses, and this is a temptation, even Moses did this. Even Moses made this mistake. In Numbers 20, 7 through 11, the Lord said to Moses, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together, speak to that rock, speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. What did Moses do wrong? He struck it. He used the staff. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me, enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring them into the land I give to them. This is why Moses does not get to go into the promised land. This action. Because this staff, it's the one he raised when the Red Sea split, right? Raised the staff. Maybe he started to believe, I need this staff. The people saw the staff on high, that staff. It's a staff. And that's specifically why God said, speak to the rock. I'm not going to do it through the staff. God works any way he will. I want you to see that you just speak it and it comes into action because by the power of the living God, if I told you to do it and you speak it, it will happen. Don't you use that staff. Break that staff. It's got no, it's got no power in it. And Moses is like, mm, but I've always, I've always used the staff. And I've always had the staff though. I really like it. I've decorated it, put some tassels on it. My phylactery sits on the top of, of my staff. It's very grand. I need it. And it keeps him out of the promised land because he attributed God's power to an item. So then Jesus, he's not done. He says, you give a tenth of your spices. And this is their tithe. He says, you give your tithe. But he says, but where is justice, mercy, and faithfulness? He says, you should keep tithing. Don't neglect it. Well, he said that in the New Testament. Oh. But also do these other things. Keep doing that. But you should also be doing this. You look nice on the outside, but you are dead inside. And when he talks about this cup, he's like, you, you like, 
uh, like take out a gnat, but you drink a camel, they would have these like filter things to like filter out their water in their cups so they could drink it without any bugs getting inside. So it was super clean, right? And that has to look good, right? They're like, that guy drinks only the purest of waters. It has no plastic particles in it whatsoever. Guys, watch this real thing. Um, but, they're, but they're not, and they're like all concerned about their water, so it's pure. What's pure, what's going in is pure, but they're not, what's going into their minds and hearts isn't pure. That's why it says you strain out a gnat but let in a camel. And so when I read this stuff, and I hope you had the same thought, you wonder what would Jesus say now about his church and his people? Have we become door holders? Are we attributing God's power to, to buildings, to routines, to the way that a service goes? We hold on to so many different things. But he's still not done. He says, I sent you prophets with my words, and you killed them. And then you say, if only we had lived in that time, we would not have been the ones to kill because we would have seen and yet he says, you will continue to do it. I will send you more. I'll send you disciples. I'll send you prophets and you will continue to kill them. And you will kill me, completing the act. So it's all you, we always tend to think, well, the people before missed it, but we wouldn't have missed it while we're missing it. And he's just telling you, you're not better than the past generations. They killed my messenger and you will kill my messengers. You know why? Because you don't want to hear the word of the Lord. You don't want to hear what I have to say. You don't want to follow. You think you're righteous, but you do nothing but persecute the righteous. And he says, you've done it from the beginning. Abel, Abel was killed by his brother because he gave a proper sacrifice to God. And the last, um, Zechariah, the other name he throws out, that's the last martyr um, in the Old Testament. So from in Jesus' time, Abel to Zechariah, those, those are all the people who have been killed um, for doing what is right, for, for being righteous. And so Jesus is leaving no stone unturned. And I, I hope that they're listening. I doubt they are. But then he says, how often I've longed to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. That's all I wanted to do. I gave you my word so you'd come closer. I gave you these people to show you the way. All I wanted was to bring you in. That's it. You would not come. And Jesus is just ending this, this little line in the same way that God ends um, in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 23, that thing I read before where he was saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to abandon you. This is how he ends it. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself, I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've driven them and will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, 
declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. He ends Jeremiah the same way. He pours out that cup, cup of wrath. I'm done with you. I'm getting rid of you. I'll punish, I will punish you. But... I will gather those back like a hen gathers the chicks on her wings. He said, I will provide a shepherd. I myself will be the shepherd. Jesus is the new shepherd fulfilling Jeremiah 23, telling the old shepherds, your time is done. Your time is done. You know that prophet you killed, Jeremiah, he told you he would be done with the shepherds. He told you he would do it himself and he would provide a new shepherd. And guess who that is? That's me. And I'm here to tell you, you're done. I will gather my people myself. I will show them my ways myself. I will show them my love myself. This is the fulfillment. And Jesus is telling it to them now and I don't even and they don't even realize this is it. This is it. This is the moment God was talking about. And we have this good shepherd and we have the Holy Spirit, but that doesn't always mean that we're free of all these things that kept happening then because, because of human nature, because of sin, because of a fallen world. A lot of people within the church have fallen prey to bad shepherds. A lot of people look around a church and see a bunch of hypocrites, and it gives God a bad name. It's given God a bad name. People have left the church. People have deconstructed. People have such pain that even those that continue to go to church sit with that pain. They say, I can't. I'm not going to invest. I'm not going to form relationships like I did before. I'm not going to volunteer like I did before. I'll be obedient, God. I'll go. But I don't want that pain again. I don't want that pain again. But what did Jesus say for the people to do when this happens. He told them in the beginning what to do when you see this. You will see this. But what does he tell them to do? He says, do what they're saying, but not what they're doing. And this is important because when I see someone deconstruct, when I see someone leave the church, what they do is they say, when a pastor fails, when a leader fails, it just crumbles. Because everyone says, now I don't know if I can believe what they said. Now I don't know if I can follow in that path they were leading because now I must bring into question everything they ever said. Is the Bible true? Is God even real? Does Jesus love me? Everything this person said, now that I've discovered that they're a liar, that they're a hypocrite, can I listen to anything they ever said concerning the Bible? And obviously if it's against the Bible, no. But for the most part, they're teaching the Bible. They're just not doing it. That's what makes them a hypocrite. A hypocrite is someone who is teaching the right thing and not doing it. And Jesus says, continue to do it. Continue to do it. Don't run away. Don't deconstruct. You should know that person failed. That person is a bad shepherd. Or that person, you know, they can sin and repent um, and then go through rehab and come back in two weeks and be a senior pastor again. I'm just kidding. If that ever happens to me, don't bring me back in two weeks. Be like, hypocrite! Everything he ever said, up, everything up to this, up to, up to this point, has been good, right now. Okay. 
But listen, we see the hypocrisy or we're hurt by people in the church and so we don't want to do it anymore. And I've been there several times. And all I learned from a ch first church hurt was that that's not God. And I'm not going to hold him accountable for what his people do. I spent a long time out of the church. I hated God and I hated his church. I hated God because of his church, because of what they did. But then I realized that wasn't him. He wasn't pushing me out. He would call me back. And all I wanted, all I wanted for all those years was just to get back in. To find what I had again. Find, find a church I had again. And I still haven't found it. No, <laughs> no I'm just kidding. I had to make myself laugh because this is getting pretty pathetic up here. But I was like, I just want, I want that. I want a strong Christian community. I want that for my kids. I want, I want that. And what you learn is that's not God. I can't give up on the church. I can't give up on his people because them. Because there, there, there are churches that will be like, just let you go. You're like, I've been here forever. Nobody cares when you go. You might think you had really good friends. And then when you leave the church, you find out, oh, they're just someone I went to church with, I guess. We weren't really that close. I thought we were, but we weren't. And it hurts. And you carry that to the next place. But you know what God wants to do with, with you in that next place? Heal you. He wants to heal you. He wants to show you that's not him. And we, but we carry this great pain. And it can be hard to keep going. And we don't feel seen. We don't feel loved. And we feel unwanted and unloved. We put that on God. But that's not God. God longs to gather us together under his wing. God wants to bring us in and protect us. Those who feel unwanted, he wants to bring you in. Those who you've been in church and you were the black sheep, he wants to bring you in. You might be here because, and you might think, oh, everyone liked me at my church. I wasn't a black sheep. No, they didn't. And yes, you were. No, I was kidding. But you don't feel loved. But God wants to bring us in. And God put, put it on our hearts. My, my, ever since I was a, a little and what happened to the church, whenever I decided, whenever God showed me that I was going to be a pastor, and I said, I didn't want to be a pastor because I didn't want to be in church. But then I was like, I can do other things. I can serve other ways. Um, and then when I feel like I was going to be a pastor, I was like, okay, God, but I'm not going to start a church from nothing. <laughs> Don't say that. That's why I tell them all the time, Lord, I will go to a third world country. <laughs> Mission's not in my blood. But listen, God wants the black sheep. He wants the unwanted. He wants those who feel un unloved. And he wants it here because he laid it on my heart at a very young age. My, my goal after what happened was like, I want to bring those, I want to bring those people back. And we've prayed from the beginning, bring us the black sheep. Bring us the people no one likes. Bring us the people who are overlooked. Bring, bring them here. That, and, and God put that on my heart. It wasn't like, I'm going to be super holy and bring those people in. It's like God was like, put it on my heart. I want those people. I want them in. I want them here. I want the black sheep. I want the people who feel unwanted. I, I want the people who have been hurt. That's who I want. I want to gather them in. Because we always talk about churches. We always talk about, well, I guess we're just building Gideon's army. And what that means is people are leaving the church in droves. And we're like, well, then I'll build a church out of people who are loyal to me. But that's not what Gideon's army is. 
he, he, he says, if you're scared, go. He says, and then he says, get some water. He tells them all to get some water and some of them cup and look around and some of them just put their faces in. And he says, I want to keep the people who are doing this and looking around, who are wary, who are watchful, who have been here before, who have fought before. Who better to take the land as an army than Christians who are watchful? And how you get watchful is you've been there before, right? If you, go, if you're, if you were a military man, like I was, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You want to, if you're going on a mission, who do you want? You want people who've been there before. You want people who've done that before. You want people who have been in this situation before. Who, who know their way around what's going to happen, what could happen. What better way for God to build an army of his people than to bring in the people who are wary and watchful, who have been here before, who know what can happen, who've seen it happen, who've seen the seeds of that happening, and are determined that it won't happen again. And so you might see yourself as a weakness and unwanted, but God wants you and God has called you and God will build an army out of you and fortify his church to bring in those on the outside who have felt the same way, unwanted, unloved, unseen. God sees you and God brings you in intentionally. Lord, I just thank you that you love us so much. I thank you that you draw us in. Even when we run, even when we hate you, you draw us in. You, you want to draw us close, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that you would help anyone here who has experienced hurt from a Christian leader or a Christian brother and sister. I just pray for healing over that person. I just pray the blood of Jesus over them right now, over their hearts and minds. That any lie the enemy tries to tell them about their value and worth that you would just wipe that away. We just bind that in the name of Jesus. That they would only hear your voice speak to them about how much you value them, how much you love them, how important they are to you. And I just pray that they would feel and see nothing but that here in your house. In a place that you make holy. I thank you that you always, that your heart is to draw us in. Lord, I thank you that you protect us and you call us. You are a good God. We thank you and we praise you and we give you all honor and glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.